Today, we are honored to have Dr. Pranar Önal with us, a distinguished figure in genetics and developmental biology. Dr. Önal's groundbreaking research, particularly in the realms of transcription networks and the evolution of pro proteins like bicoid and drosophilia, has shed light on the complex mechanisms driving phenotypic diversity and evolution. In our conversation, we will delve into Dr. Anand's scientific journey, her passion for unraveling the mysteries of genetic regulation, and her significant contributions to the field of evolutionary biology. We will also discuss the challenges she, she has overcome, her most impactful research findings, and her vision for the future of the field. Please welcome Dr. Pnar Anand. question is, can you tell me about your academic life and major decisions in it and the breakthroughs you had? Thank you for the invitation. Sure. Um, well, my academic life and breakthroughs. Okay, I uh, studied um, in a Middle East Technical University. I graduated from Molecular Biology and Genetics Department many, many years ago. Um, and and then I I didn't know what to do in my main, um, master or graduate studies. On I I knew I wanted to stay in academia, and also at that time, if you start biology or any science scientific field, you had more chance staying in academia. So I wasn't very interested in you know businesses or. Yeah. I was more interested in understanding things, um, so I decided to go to molecular biology and genetics, and I decided not to do cancer, <laughs> because that was the main, you know, everybody around me was interested in cancer. I mean, cancer yeah. is something that anybody is, of course, will be interested in, but I didn't want to study cancer, I knew that. I was interested in evolution, but there was not so many, you know, so many people studying evolution. Yeah, um, there was the, I think, the biggest evolutionary um, biologist in the department at that time, although uh, retiring slowly. Um, I could Kenja. I thought I would, <laughs> I would not remember his name. It would be so embarrassing. Um, so I could Kenja was retiring, and his his work was basically on you know um, species specific variations in Drosophila or like local species. It wasn't a molecular kind of understanding of evolution. That's what I thought I wanted, but I also wasn't able to you know formulate it because when you don't know you don't know what you are missing yeah. so I then I mean so I decided to to search a little bit more and then I, I did a master in immunology so it wasn't very very much what I wanted but um, 
I thought, let me give it a try, maybe, because um, you know, it is and also immunology is very interesting yeah. too. Don't get me wrong, and all of these uh, fields are very interesting. I was just not seeing enough of evolution, not even development actually. So I was looking for something else, and I ended up studying immunology, um, or started to study immunology. Did my master, yeah. But doing mostly molecular stuff. It wasn't really going too deep in, you know, fox sorting and so on. But um, then I, I thought I would give it a try, and I actually went to Max Planck Infectious Diseases and Immunology program. But there, after studying a year and killing mice and <laughs> doing some fact sorting and staining and trying to look at the brain pathologies, I decided that it wasn't for me. So I yeah. gave, a, gave a break of six months, I guess, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, then I saw this at, so this was in Berlin. I yeah. did my master, or like I started to study in uh, this Max, in Max Planck Graduate School in Berlin and came back to Turkey for six months. And then I went back to a new lab, who, which was working on planaria regeneration. Um, so it was Nikolaus Rayevsky's lab who turned out to be like one of the biggest um, scientists in Germany and in Europe. So he's very famous in his... Now he's working a lot of stuff in different things. But at that time he was focused on... His lab was focusing on post-transcription regulation. And he also was interested in trying this or... Um, in investigating the post-transcriptional regulation in different model systems. Uh, and he just decided to use planaria because some, um, some small RNAs that were shown previously to be important in their regenerative abilities, uh, namely pi RNAs. Evolution studies, or were you just so this was so. So I'm still trying to understand what I like, and this the description of this job and the plan area, and so I think I didn't want to study with cells and cell cultures. So I had to also like know my. I wanted to know what kind of medium I want to work with. So. I thought planaria would be a great model, and I could start organismal biology, maybe. Yeah. So, and um, I think that was a, that was the break point or turning point in my um, academic career because I was really not very happy with the decision I already previously made. So I might have given up at that point, but then I got accepted to. I mean, Nikolaus gave me a chance, and I started, and. Um, I, I did enjoy it very much. It was, uh, um, it was a, I mean, it was a new lab, but he managed to recruit the most brilliant scientists. I could, <laughs> I would say, everybody was so smart. I was, it was intimidating to be honest, but it was also very, you know, motivating in a way. You have to be very, you have to be ready for the questions these curious people would ask. And um, like, so you have to be ready, and you shouldn't be bullshitting. <laughs> so that was the that was the main things that were the main things I learned from Nicolas's lab because they would catch your bullshit. So you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't want to be caught. Um, 
So I guess going to Nikolaos's lab was really a big um, turning point in my life. And then I decided to study organismal biology. <laughs> and um, that's how I started working with model animals. Um, I don't know, I can keep talking about this, but if you have any other question, you can just yeah, um, After the master's, I, I think you did a, did, did a PhD, and the thesis of yours was really popular, I, as far as I've seen. The uh, title of my thesis, um, I think it no, was no, no. called... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking about the title, I'm, I think it was a little popular. Uh, among the among the community, because uh, as far as I've seen, the citations of that article are are really high. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, uh, which was interesting to me because uh, many many people to get that many citations after their like doctor's work, and they got into it a little bit more and more than they got the get the okay. Oh well, um, you know I didn't know that there was the um, that was such a that there was such a trend. But um, yeah, it has a good amount of citations um, because it was also the my PhD paper you're talking about, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it was um, it was a I guess one of the first papers. So there are two papers that are very much cited that came during my PhD, one of uh, one I just contributed, um, you know, it wasn't a big contribution and it was the assembling the transcriptome of the uh, planaria. Um, because, I mean, that was cited very much and then the other one was my paper that I, I compared, um, you know, so the idea of using planaria um, or like planaria has been known Mm-hmm. For for hundreds, I mean, many many years. Yeah. Um, even Thomas Hunt Morgan, who is known uh, with his um, Drosophila work, studied with Planaria, right. but gave up on it, saying that we will never be able to uh, understand <laughs> regeneration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and and you know, um, so people. Gave, I think there's this lack or um, gap of studying regeneration in planaria and this was bringing back planaria to the regeneration studies so and, and in a way to say that um, regenerative mechanisms in planaria um, are relevant to, to human being so that was what our um, paper was saying. And to do that, you know, we, we used whatever available at that moment because we did not know any markers to sort them through facts and compare them. So we used the cell cycle stage differences and so on, knowing that there's still very many uh, heterogeneity within those cells. Um, we found very interesting things, mainly post-transcriptional regulation regulators and epigenetic regulators, and that turned out to be very important in the following years. Like epigenetic regulation is basically what is most uh, relevant to the, I guess, um, phenotypic differentiation. I mean, of course, gen- genotype is important. But epigenetic uh, regulation, what makes us, you know, different. Uh, different. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did your uh, PhD came to be, and um, 
after that, how do you take your decisions? And even during, did you have any doubts of continuing? Because PhD is, it takes a long time yeah. compared to masters or maybe even undergraduate. Well, my PhD was short. <laughs> my postdoc took longer. So I did my PhD. I think I started in 2009 and finished in 2013. Yeah. Um, because, so, um, PhD in, actually PhD in, in the U.S. Uh, take takes longer than PhD in, in Germany because you go there after your master's. Um, so it's four or five years still. I mean, mine was on the, on the shorter uh, part of PhD and I was actually awarded for finishing it in less than, I don't know, um, whatever years they were having that. <laughs> and then publishing also a very high, or relatively high impact in a high impact journal. So it was not very long um, compared to my fellow PhD students. I, I got lucky, I guess, working with a model that is not, that doesn't take so long to, to you know, regenerate people working with mice. Had to had to you know make so their transgenic mouths and then wait for them for like months to grow and then and I had these uh, I had these friends who got uh, some mouse model transgenic mouse from a very well known lab and then after three years of trying to show what they had shown in their paper and then realizing that they had the wrong mouse. So that was like, <laughs> I, when, I, when I heard this kind of studies, I was very thankful that I studied with planaria, not the yeah. mouse. So, yeah, but I had doubts, you know, I mean, who doesn't? I always had doubts about things and I think that's a very natural thing. And uh, sometimes it's, and also like scientific, I think, biological research especially, um, takes very long to give you any reward. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you go through this uh, time of, you know, compromise, you just work hard and you repeat things and um, once in a while it works, I mean not once in a while it works, but once in a while you get really what you wanted or after a long time of uh, hard work you get what you want and then those are the moments I guess most of the people if you ask what make me at least to keep going because the, the satisfaction is guess you don't get it easily from anything at least I don't like it's just like if something don't work in the lab my whole life is affected I feel like oh, like yeah. you can't take it out of your head and do things and then once thing, uh, things start, start to work just everything looks uh, also okay. better so of course during these times dark times <laughs> experiments not working <laughs> I, I consider it, um, but I'm also not a, well, how do you call it? I don't give up very easily, I guess. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I stick to what I've, I think, what I like, or yeah, I don't give up, so I kept going. Despite also, people the people I mentioned this internal motivation, or not giving up, as you call it. Um, how do you, uh, is, there a, is there any trick of sustaining that, or? Um, do you do you see do you do any 
any sort of meditation no. or anything yeah. like that? I'm the last person to do <laughs> meditation, not at all. All my friends are uh, proposing that, but no <laughs> meditation, I don't do. And I mean, no, maybe... No, I don't specifically <laughs> for meditation, of course. What kind I'm of right. things? I'm yeah, any, any kind of exercise, maybe reading 10 pages mm. during this dark time so that you can focus on another thing just for a while or something. Uh, things. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know how I keep... As I said, I think once in a while... I mean, biology, biological research sometimes gives you some feedbacks and that yeah. gives you, I guess, motivated. Um, but I also, I mean, I also think that um, like doing other things, like really reading um, different kinds of books, I don't usually read, you know, uh, in my free times, biology books or like, you know, this famous... Um, Richard Dawkins, whatever. <laughs> I'm not really fan of it. But like that kind of books, I don't read. I like to read other stuff, like sometimes um, philosophy or so on, uh, to keep my mind off. And also, it somehow gives me um, a different like way of interpreting or like coming up with some new ideas, I feel like. Um, and I'm also more interested, I mean, of course, I'm an experimentalist, I do experiments, but I am very much, you know, I do like, um, I have a this social side of biology or biological research in mind always, so I try to interpret things in the context and like, I'm interested in the philosophy behind every interpretation too. Um, so I don't know if that keeps me going, but I do think um, what I do is important. <laughs> so that's the motivation. I don't want to, I mean, everybody thinks, I mean, being a doctor is very important, of course, mm -hmm. but um, I do think the mental satisfaction is, uh, is huge that you get from, from, from doing yeah. research. Yeah, yeah, compared to some jobs I can definitely agree. <laughs> and um, you said you don't like Dawkins. Where is this? <laughs> I didn't want this to be part of this uh, this talk. I don't know. I um, so um, so while trying to motivate myself, and I had thoughts uh, during my undergrad. I think I got this book called Selfish Gene. Everybody knows it, mm -hmm. um, and and everybody recommends each other, or they were recommending. And I actually did not find it very interesting. very interesting, yeah. or like very. You know, I just found it pretty. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I did not like it, and it didn't fit with my, you know, worldview. Also, I um, like like the name already was a little bit weird to to choose and to choose a selfish gene title for. I don't know. I didn't find this an att attractive title either. And then I read it. I don't remember it very much. I just remember I did not agree with most of the things oh, yeah. in in the in the book. And also like seeing so seeing um, human being as just a machine um, that carried the genes who <laughs> tried to replicate idea is just so so immature to me also. no it's not yeah. true and I, I think that mo I was motivated to to show 
that is not true. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually, maybe it's how I work. I usually counter, um, counter, <laughs> counter. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's I think uh, that's why I didn't like, and I did not read anything after after um, that, that what he wrote because I thought I mean that book was really not interesting <laughs> to me. I didn't enjoy why should I bother to read more? And then I followed him on Twitter, not follow but saw him, mm-hmm. and that already proved my point that he's not a very interesting man with brilliant ideas. So. <laughs> okay. Um, what were the opportunities that you could have taken but didn't in the end? During your PhD maybe you got other offers or maybe between the six months you... Uh, consider them other options. <laughs> so funny. So I, so I was studying biology and I, I had just started. So, but, um, so there are two, so I'm not, I was very good at maths and physics in high school. I just loved to be good at biology. Yeah. So it was just like it's 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 interesting and it's like not, not, it has no rules and I want to be good at biology but it was difficult maths and physics yeah. I mean at that level now I don't know you're a physics student so I can't understand quantum physics I have no idea what it is but um, but at that time like Newton physics you know light and so yeah, on those are like easy to follow there's a rule you follow and then that's that's it biology wasn't like that and it's not about like you have to know everything you just need to come up with some you know there's nothing wrong in biology also like there's always an exception to the rule like you can never be wrong when you say something (laughs) you can find an exception that can prove your point yeah um so that or that can support your point but um, but it is it is just like too deep and too wide that it is whole life uh, compared to maths and physics. I'm sorry to mathematicians and <laughs> physicists, but a biology is a difficult um, difficult field. To yeah. like you have to be on top of uh, you know new information. Like there are tons of papers published. And very yeah, that's I can tell too. So, so, so I started to study, and then I realized how difficult it was, and I thought maybe I made a mistake, so I should, I should enter the exam again and start oh. doing something else. <laughs> and I was thinking of, um, I guess, medicine, yeah. um, and I entered the exam, and I, I could go either. I think no, because you you can only go to the place in the list. I think I had this space engineer <laughs> on top of my. I think um, what was that? Uh, the it's not Gülhane. Some t- uh, some medical school in, in in Istanbul was beyond that. So I was like, okay, am I gonna go to uh, to engineers engineering school and? Uh, um, learn space and <laughs> I don't know <laughs> spaceships. Um, so there was, there, I had to. I was. I wasn't very close. It was just like 
it was I wanted to try, you know, when I had the chance. I wanted to try if I wanted to give up on biology. But a friend of mine said I would not be your friends if you started space engineering. So I thought okay, your friendship is important. And I was biology, I think. And I think it was a it was a good decision. I don't regret not studying. Um, that um, yeah. What was what else did you ask? Sorry. Um, during that six months, six months of the break, you probably considered other places to go, or, or in PhD you got other offers. So actually, I could have stayed in Turkey and do a PhD on um, on immunology. Uh. But because I came back to my old lab, master lab. Um, um, but then I got this offer from from the planaria lab mm -hmm. and I'm like this is the thing I tried before and I wasn't really very you know I wasn't good at or, or I wasn't very happy so I should do I should do the other thing so I had applied for uh, for positions before coming back to Turkey so I wasn't really thinking of giving up on uh, yeah. on academia or my PhD I was just like I needed some time to focus on what I want to do and also I was going through a hard time also in my in my life so I yeah. decided to give a break and it was a good idea I think I um, I did a I did a good thing but also going back to uh, to Berlin uh, was the right decision and I had, I mean, once in a while, maybe I, um, no, I think I didn't. After that and during my postdoc, I always somehow knew I wanted to stay in academia. Um, because as I said, I'm not cut for, um, you know, people, <laughs> people relationships. And so I'm, I'm, I'm good at the, Good at uh, sitting in a room or in a lab doing experiments than yeah. um, being in an office and yeah. being in a meeting. I could, I, I feel awkward in, <laughs> in, in meetings and I don't know. I, I just, I mean, yeah. I think uh, staying in academia became the only possible thing for me, and yeah, I did stay. Um. So there are some some even great scientists such as Einstein that said if they lived again they would have mm -hmm. done much something much simpler in life uh -huh. like being a plumber or something. Overall, mm -hmm. how difficult was the path for you in academia? Would you do it again? I mean, I think Starting about this very zero. often. I mean, I would do it. So to some at some point in my life also. Like I had this dream nightmare. Like I, I, I had the, like they couldn't find my you know diploma or whatever, and I had to take my undergrad exams. Oh. <laughs> this was like, but I can't. I don't know anything anymore. But uh, that uh, nightmare stopped. So that was a that was a common nightmare. Like I'm like I can't do it again. It has been so wow. difficult. But then I think there was again another turning point. I realized that I, I think like this um, light, I, got, I was enlightened and I just started to see things differently. And I'm like, if I go again, I would definitely do things much better. And like, you know, I could also uh, 
I, I, I studied hard, but I think I wasn't trying to, um, you know, diversify my field of study at the time. I, so I, I would maybe take the opportunity of being in university. Like you can go and listen to different kind of lectures. You know, that's the that's a that's a great thing. Yeah. Uh, I did not do like that much of you know. I didn't show any. Um, I, I wasn't interested. I was just so burdened by the by by classes, by exams. I guess I was too stressed about to enjoy it. So if I go back, I would enjoy my university years and like do things differently, like study, but also study more efficiently and also pay more attention to the other, like philosophy or you know arts or or other things, physics. Why not? computer, science, whatever. That was, I think, uh, the, the next question I was going to ask. Like, uh, I see a lot of people struggling in undergraduate years because of the exams and the burdens you mentioned. Um, I don't think it's, it has much to do with you, but in general there is this burden put on students so that they can't enjoy at least there is some sort of thing like this. So could you maybe reflect on what make it easier for them and you as well in those undergraduate years? Maybe a listener might be able to go to a position where they can influence things and change things for the better. Mm -hmm. um, so you are asking if um, if I can relieve the pain of uh, stress or the stress of students by the by exams, I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard, you know. I I would uh, recommend them to to study, to learn, or to find uh, the thing interesting. Because I mean, biology or if they are interested in physics, it must be interesting. But I also am aware that there is a whole system that uh, expect them to have some, you know, there are too many students for too little positions, and so there should be some uh, selection. So I cannot, um, I agree that uh, there is a stress, it's a stressful life, and um, but I wish things were different <laughs> for them. I wish the grades weren't the only thing that uh, you know that uh, the, the, that determine your your future. It's not the only thing. Still, there's always a chance, even if you don't. I mean, just don't be crazy. I guess to be a high honor student, it doesn't matter really. At the end, it could you can. I mean. Some graduate schools do not accept maybe below three, um, but three is still a great. Uh, but I see students here like not being satisfied by three, and I'm like, this is great. I would be happy. They are just they're coming back to me with B pluses, and I'm like, B plus is great. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you upset? <laughs> um, but uh, I guess it is a competitive world and they want to go one step ahead of their fellows and yeah. I, I do understand but I, I mean if they are stressed I cannot, telling them not to be stressed is not, <laughs> not going to help but, uh, but I think they should also like uh, they should enjoy the you know the process it shouldn't be too stressful I was also very stressed 
<laughs> during my years. So I, I was I uh, was uh, I was worried about my grades. Um, and that's why, you know, taking other things would also stress my other grades. So I didn't do it. I wish I did. And I wish I, I had a little bit lesser, you know, CGP. What is the <laughs> CGP? But had more variety of courses. Um, so I think learning new things is great and it should not be just because and students always ask me, if I'm gonna ask that in the in exam, and I'm like, don't you like it already? <laughs> like, do you not like what you learn? I mean, why does it matter? I'm not actually, I won't. Um, it's just even if they enjoy, they sometimes feel the need to ask because it's important. It's important. For them as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I wish there were no exams and people would just enjoy the yeah. enjoy the process of learning. Um, Maybe it's, it's, it's easy to say now that I don't I, mean, I still have to take exams, but <laughs> but still, um, yeah, I don't know. It's stressful, I understand students. We, we talked about undergraduate years, but you had a whole career after that, so could you you can also reflect on maybe the other difficulties you had in academia where they could actually change things for the better, but the situation is still like that. Do you have any such mm -hmm. ideas? Uh, can you can you um, <laughs> can you repeat or can you tell? Uh, can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah, of course. Maybe um, I see some uh, professors or uh, doctorates or postdoctorates complaining about mm -hmm. getting funds or ah. getting help from the professors. Right. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things they can complain. Yeah, 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 of course. There are so many things in academia to complain about. <laughs> Funding is, uh, is very problematic. In Turkey, in, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, in Turkey it might not be harder than any other place because, so, you know, there's like 20% of, uh, I guess, acceptance rate, which is not in the lowest, but... Um, but still, yeah. yeah but, and also, I think the the economy and the you know the 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 price of doing research is very high. Um, the cost, I mean, and um, and it it also you know it restricts you on what kind of research you will do because you have to justify everything and you have to find the right amount. I mean. There's a limit of what they can give, and you have to restrict your ideas in that in that limited amount of money. Um, so. Did you have any such rejections? Of course. Oh. Yeah. Such as? Can you mention the project a little bit? That. Oh, because uh, you, I have several rejections oh. <laughs> of grants. <laughs> if you mean that. Yeah. 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 Um, well, most of them did not tell me why. Um, but last rejections, I got a lot of comments, and um, so so one that one I did not like was about that we knew that already. Yeah. That part I did not like. The rest I could handle, but that we knew that already. It's kind of a um, to me. It's it cannot be ever true because. You never know anything. I mean, we know about transcriptional regulation, yeah. but 
how can you say that we solve the transcriptional regulation, you know, um, logic or mechanism? So there are so many things to learn. Um, I'll see what they will say this time. So I'm hoping that uh, they might this time uh, find it satisfying or yeah. like convincing. Um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, I see that a lot of students, I mean, before talking to you, before coming here, I, I have talked to a lot of students of yours asking whether or not I, what I should ask even. Oh, my students? You yeah, talked yeah. to my students? Yes, ah. some. And they, they said uh, they said they love you and they respect you a lot, so uh, how, did, how do you manage to do that? Because that's not the love every professor or any academic Did you ask gets. that to my last year student or this year student? <laughs> I changed it with me. <laughs> last year. Um, yeah, last year was my first year, so you know, oh. I was a new PI or new professor, whatever. I was there was in the class first time, so I was, um, and I did like my students too. You know, I I was really very, um, I love them, so I still love my students. So it's nice to see them also. They're very curious and they are very, you know, the um, so they they taught me a lot too. Uh, and and I guess I don't know why they liked me maybe because I was very you know whenever they ask for something extra points of course <laughs> no, I don't know it wasn't like that but um, um, but I I don't know why I think you should ask them why they did but I did like them too maybe that's a, a you know mutual yeah. thing and I respected them um, too um, and I learned as I said a lot from them because it wasn't really like every lecture is you know you go in front of these people and nobody told me before how to handle this you know they're not kids you yeah. cannot just tell them to shut up or anything they are like <laughs> grown up uh, human beings and um, and they don't like talk or anything with, uh, with their phones or whatever but you it's a different kind of relationship than like teaching small kids and um, you cannot learn it and also it is again it's being on the stage and they they expect you to know everything, but I'm, I'm already specialized on one field, so I don't know everything, obviously. And it was, it was, I guess, one thing I wanted to tell them from the beginning, but I never did, actually, that I will not know many things, maybe, that you asked me. But we can learn and we can come up with, you know, something and we can discuss still. Yeah. Um, and also, like, uh, in at, at this level, I think it shouldn't be about, like, trying to find an answer from one single source anyway. Whatever I say is not, cannot be, like, an ultimate truth yeah. either. So I think um, learning is also, like, asking questions, but also... Um, questioning the answers you know <laughs> like if the answer is right or like um so they were also very curious students and they asked me questions so i was i was studying like before every lecture of course um and also i was sometimes coming up with questions and 
in my head. So it was it was it was a good um, it was a good exercise for me. I liked teaching at the like I did, I hadn't ha- had experience of teaching before, and I did not know how I would like how I would react with students. It was a little. It was very hard at the beginning, but then I started to like my students, and I also liked what I was teaching. And it is, you know, I like biology. Every any field, I'm interested in. Like, um, as I said, I am. A, I mean, I didn't say I'm a developmental biologist, but I studied molecular biology, then became a developmental biologist, also evolutionary biology. Um, in the back, you know, evolutionary biology is. Um, is the base I uh, I think um, construct all my developmental and molecular ideas I think um, so but I'm also interested in immunology now more than when I did my masters <laughs> and cancer microbiology yeah so now I'm more interested in those fields because I see how they are connected you know it's not like um, and it, it is connected, everything is connected. So there is this new um, field of studies, eco evo divo. So, so at the beginning, evolutionary biology and developmental biology was not connected. So that took yeah. some time to connect them. And uh, then there was evo divo. And microbiology and like ecology wasn't connected to evo or evolutionary biology or developmental biology, but then, it is connecting now in a newly, you know, emerging field in eco evolutivo, because I mean, human being is made up of, you know, all this microbiome, also endosymbionts and so on in other in other organisms. Maybe not we we didn't find found an endosymbiotic bacteria yet in our cells, but there are many organisms that have uh, endosymbionts and that help them shape their. Um, developmental uh, path. So I think um, I lost the track of my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? What was I saying? Um, we were talking about your <laughs> Just, lectures. Oh, then why they were? Oh. Why they were good? Yeah. So yeah. They, this, this, I mean, these lectures that I gave was really a, a mixture of all these topics. Yeah. You know, I had to, I had to remember all these things I learned, and in a new, I had a new perspective now after all these years specializing something, and I was learning all these different things. Yeah, and I enjoyed learning them, and you know, and then students were asking even more challenging questions to me, yeah. and I'm like, this is great, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right, and that's, uh, that's something that I will try to answer next time if I don't know exactly that at, at that point. So I am much, I think, more informed than last year. Yeah. I hope they are too, <laughs> but I'm glad that um, they say they enjoyed or like my uh, or like me, if not my lectures. <laughs> <laughs> they, they mentioned that you, you look like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, if you know. <laughs> yes, one student told me that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're interested in evolution and developmental biology a lot, so um, what are some questions that got your interest in the first place, first place that maybe hasn't been solved even yet? <laughs> 
Okay, so um, which, how I got into evolutionary developmental biology. As I said, after the master's, I did not know what I was going to do. And I, want, um, I was always interested in evolutionary biology and because it is very interesting. I mean, yeah. um, and um, so I started uh, organismal biology with planaria. And, and what, what we ended up showing in this paper is that um, there is a high level of conservation between human and planarian stem cells um, despite 500 million years of evolutionary distance. Yes. Um, but also, um, but also, one of the uh, I think um, towards the end, what we were saying in, this, in the discussion of this paper is that so when we compare the gene regulatory network uh, networks of planarian stem cells and human stem cells and embryonic stem cells usually or iPS cells, um, we saw that in some cases. We don't know, you know, um, the organizer or like, you know, the, 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 the transcription factor or the protein at the top of a, a gene regulatory network, yeah. but we found the network there and we said that there's many, uh, many examples of that and one is um, bicoid. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, basically is a relatively new transcription factor that is found in a subset of um, uh, flies, in yeah. dipteran flies, and it seems like it just um, evolved to regulate an already um, uh, conserved developmental uh, network of genes and that it replaced an ancestral protein, which at that time we called OTD and orthodontical. But I think that's not even that simple. But from that point, I think from, for, from this uh, conclusion, I, I found a new interest in evolution yeah. and also in bicoid and drosophila. <laughs> so, so when I finished working with planaria, I mean, planaria is a great model. Um, it's a, it uh, it has like this um, unlimited regenerative capacity. Like you divide it, it's it's a very small um, small organism. Yeah. Not even one centimeter, but only one point up up to one point two centimeter, one point five centimeter can grow, I think. But you can divide this small animal into hundreds of pieces, and from yeah. each piece a new organism can develop in like, or regenerate, or develop, whatever, that's also a question that I have, or I had, like how close the regeneration, and uh, regenerative gene regulatory network to the developmental network. And with comparing those regenerative pathways or networks in terms of um, in planarian stem cells, we were also trying to answer that. So these, all, all these questions just led me to, um, to you know, to study more on evolution, and also I wanted to learn more of development. So I moved to New York um, to study Drosophila, and it, so I was just saying, Planaria is a great model, but it has some um, uh, drawbacks. Like um, genome cannot be really fully. Uh, 
um, aligned. So it's, it's still in like a thing at that time at least. Because there are so many repeats, you can't, you can't construct them into chromosomes, so you don't, you have only this context. Okay. Not the chromosome or anything. Um, uh, so it's not a fully, uh, you know, the genome was not fully constructed. And also, there's not a way, and there might still not be any way to make geno um, a transgenic planaria. And this, I mean, making transgenic animals is a very big plus if you want to. Uh, which I want to, if you want to modify a system to understand what system is capable of doing or what kind of mutations you can introduce and to see what you get from those, what happens if you do mutate um, some genes and so on. Or like you just want to, you know, label a protein and look at it, uh, look at its function in real time, which you can do. You can do in planaria too, but you can't just change them, you know, you can't label them. So transgenesis is not possible. So I decided and to... And it's because of the misalignment you made? No, no, it's not. It's just the genome is also not very well known, but also there are, there's, it's biologically not possible to inject into uh, embryo in se sexual planaria. But I was working on asexual planaria that only grew by you know, uh, regeneration or reproduced asexually by regeneration. Um, but even in the sexual one, you could not do it because of the, you know, the egg is not really very accessible. Uh, I see. And to access it, you have to kill it, basically. <laughs> so that was a, that was a problem that uh, that couldn't be solved. Uh, maybe they are they are able to do it now. I don't know. Um, so I decided to move to Drosophila, which is, I think, one of the best models, if it's not the best. Yeah. Uh, because you can do anything. It's a, um, it's like a, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a test tube with all the, you know, um, it's an organism, mm -hmm. but it is so easy to manipulate. It's like in a, almost a test tube, yeah. an embryo, um, especially. And like you can, uh, it's very, it's a very complicated system. It has, um, I mean, it's a eukaryotic. Um, animal, so it has all the compli complex regula regulatory systems that uh, we also use in transcriptional or post-transcriptional regulatory networks. Um, but it also is, you know, you get the embryo and you can see this happening in real time even. So it's, it's amazing to have it in hand and uh, to use it properly to understand the, you know, molecular mechanisms of developmental changes or differentiation and so on. Yeah, this, this is an elementary question, but what is the, what does network mean and mean and gene regulatory network? Um, is it all the transcription factors or uh, is it the whole proteins? I don't know. What do they mean by network? So networks is, a network is exactly the transcriptional, uh, transcription, I mean, if it's a transcriptional regulatory network, I'm talking about transcription factors regulating each other and regulating, making a network. 
And in this network, of course, there are genes that are not transcription factors, and they can still be regulating in, in other ways, yeah. metabolic pathways and so on. But of course, this, the network is basically the interaction between all these proteins and um, transcription factors, if you specifically talk about transcription fact, transcriptional regulatory network. Post-transcriptional networks can be also involved, and you can call them just the regulatory network. Okay, thanks for your clarification. Um, I take an amicator article about the Bicoid's evolution through analysis. Can you explain the research and, the, and your findings? I guess you did some sort of backtrack in mm. Ancestral protein. So that part was done by some very um, uh, established um, evolutionary scientists who do this, who use this algorithm and, uh, you know, um, routinely in their lab in University of Chicago in Organismal Biology Department, Joe Thornton and his postdoc, we collaborated with them. So what they did was basically to take the, so they do ancestral protein reconstruction to create, to generate um, historical proteins in order to understand their, you know, their role, how they evolved to have, for example, the, this new uh, function uh, from, uh, by, and also how, you know, if, uh, like, because um, there are, like, families of proteins um, and they, at the end, they come from maybe a single protein but they uh, specialize to do different things at the end of this evolutionary tree. So what they do is basically going from the known, the tip of those uh, maybe phylogenetic tree and then looking at uh, uh, to the each node, to the ancestor of each protein one by one or two by two and going back to the ancestor by using different algorithms they use. Uh, it's not just like parsimony or like um, Bayesian, um, they use, I think, different methods to calculate with the highest probability or to predict highest pro uh, probability it, at every knot the ancestor protein sequence and then that led them to the ancestor and then like you can have ancestor and at each level obviously. In Bikoi, it wasn't, that wasn't so, uh, I think Bikoi was, you know, coming from a recent, um, uh, recent ancestor with some very diverged sister protein. Mm -hmm. um, so we did not have so many knots to go oh. back and look for, but we had this ancestral Bikoi. And so Bikoi, is a homeodomain transcription factor. Homeodomains are very conserved and like found um, even, I mean, yes, definitely, I think in bacteria even maybe, um, at least, you know, helix turn helix, basically. That's the, uh, that's, um, that's basically homeodomain with three helixes and an N-terminal arm. And that's a very common also DNA binding um, structure. And um, so, Bicoid and Zen, are found or predicted with high uh, likelihood to come from an ancestral, uh, to come from a single ancestor in, um, I don't know, hundreds of million years ago, a uh, million years ago. And uh, from that point on, they diverged 
very significantly to do completely different uh, different functions at different times during embryo development. And, uh, and what we wanted to understand was how, um, what kind of changes, mm -hmm. like uh, in protein, yeah, changes. exactly. Yeah. And to do that ancestral protein reconstruction, we thought might be a good idea to, instead of just comparing these very diverse protein, we can go back and look for the, um, the differences in their ancestors that might give us a better idea. Yeah. Um, and then um, that's why we use that. Um, I mean, I think we learned a lot, and I learned a lot with this paper. That uh, my understanding of, you know, evolutionary changes, um, uh, how evolutionary changes happen, also uh, improved a lot. And um, do, do you have any new intuitions that you can possibly share? But Normally, one one only thinks like survival is the key, and yeah, <laughs> not much survival. else. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, I did not know we would come to this point in this discussion. So, um, I mean, of course, I think, I think the ultimate, um, ultimately you have to survive, I guess, to, um, yeah. to, to, to be able to give offsprings. But I think how you survive is not um, defined only by your genes or like, um, yeah. you know, that's the, I think, um, I mean, I learned about the um, agency of organism maybe during this, uh, during my interest in evolution, um, yeah. like, uh, and also how it came to be, uh, I came to be more interested in epigenetics also. Um, because, yeah, I, I think another thing I, I tried to um, go against was this uh, genotype, phenotype, uh, you know, connection. That there's, not a, there's not a direct connection between your genotype and phenotype. And how is this connected through, um, it depends on, uh, on the organism. Uh, on the cell, on the cellular context, on the environment. Um, so I, I think like what started with the, I guess picoid evolution, and also when we when we published that it wasn't a very you know changes in protein sequence is is it wasn't a very easy topic to tackle. Okay. Um, like uh, cis-regulatory changes, people were more interested in micro changes than macro changes um, because it was it's, easy yeah, it's easier to show. You can't really show with like this macro amount of changes and say that these might have happened. So that was one thing I guess we showed and then also how macro changes happen was not something that um, evolutionary biologists were interested in uh, tackling with because it is like there are, there are enough, there's, the, the idea is this gradualist idea at least is that there are random changes happening over time and then you accumulate them and then nature selects um, but I think that uh, that is not uh, that's not the complete picture um, there are many other things in epigenetics I think also affects by affecting development 
affects your chances of survival. Like your genes are not the only thing that um, that makes you survive, but your your conditions. And you know, as human beings, we know well that um, uh, we. Um, inherit things more than our genes from our parents and that yeah. also leads to you know our lifestyle <laughs> better or worse um, so I think that's all became a uh, that all became a part of my understanding of evolution so I look at it as a, as a more um, I mean it is uh, it is hard to hard to tackle in the lab but it also is a very important picture I think an uh, important question yeah. an important topic evolution it's I think it's uh, the, the challenge of understanding evolution or like coming up with a with an explanation of how evolution works is I think uh, still a very big question and people are struggling to make you know there are different um, different points about um, evolution like modern synthesis or you know extended evolutionary synthesis and so on so I think it is a very philosophical uh, field too, and I like it. So, so yeah. it's uh, it's just like it's a lot of brain um, exercising, or yeah. Uh, when you take these uh, statistical methods that, that you mentioned, back tracing the Bicoid's evolution, uh, how can you tell which which structures were? Um, more stable compared to others. Mm. Do, you, do you have any insight? Oh, no. So, um, we didn't do any structural analysis with those homeo uh, uh, domains. And um, what I can tell is that, so, um, you're right, we never did that. But what I can tell when we put those homeo domains, so we just predicted the homeo domain, the, that's the helix stone helix structure. Um, and when you put them in now in alpha fold, I guess you get the same helix stone helix structure. You started using that? Um, back then there was no alpha fold, but oh, yeah. like when we test them now, you see the, uh, the helix stone helix structure. Um, and and in their model, I believe, they also put this information because the structure is the constraining feature still. They cannot put something that won't be able to uh, uh, make that structure. So that was in the program or the algorithm that they used. But we never test that in, in, uh, independently. But what I did when I made those transgenic flies with the homeo domain inside Bicoid, so we swapped the Bicoid homeo domain with these predicted homeo domains. What I, uh, I could see that that change did not affect the whole structure of the protein. Uh, by, again, um, by basically recognizing those proteins with the same antibody. So I could recognize the antibody, uh, the, the protein, bicoic protein, oh, with different homeo domains, with the same antibody that was directed to outside of the homeo domain, um, internal of homeo domain. And that kind of, um, I guess, not very directly, but still pretty, um, um, I guess, well, yeah, pretty surely showed me that um, 
the change in the homeo domain did not um, did not mess up with the whole structure of the protein. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have also used the Novo ensemble in your studies. Can you mm-hmm. give me a brief overview of how that works? Because I, as far as I understand, you basically build RNA or DNA as much as you like. Uh, so um, and. After that, maybe you can mention the study that open sourced more than 4,000 RNA structures out of the wild. Okay, so that paper, the NOVA assembly of planarian transcriptome, I think you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, so that paper was, um, I was a collaborator or co-author of that paper. That was another PhD student in in our neighboring lab who was basically doing the experiments. But it was a huge amount of work to with, uh, yeah, with computer scientists. So what they did, um, so it is de novo because you don't know anything about the genome. Because so in in some cases you have no uh, genome. Um, and in uh, in that case, uh, Planaria did not have an established genome. Uh, yeah. So you so get the transcriptome. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you have the transcriptome, but you don't have a genome to align it with to be able to come up with an uh, explanation of transcriptome or the difference of. That's why as Dunno, without knowing the genome, you try to assemble the transcriptome. And um, and but we had the context, so we were somehow we had some of those contexts, and we could align them by using. So we used uh, in that What paper. Contexts that you contexts are DNA fragments that couldn't um. be, but that couldn't be aligned. So you can't call them a chromosome. Okay. But you know that they are a big part of the genome, but they are not assembled. Uh, and uh, and so we had this short uh, sequencing. The, it was so it changed a lot. Uh, it was the, it was the beginning of this high throughput sequencing day. So uh, and I think it was a novel idea to combine short reads with long reads to basically make it possible to um, to align the transcriptome. So that was the idea. Um, but I don't remember what was that 4,000 RNA structures um, that you're talking about. As, as far as I've seen, you have created and tested more than 18,000. Uh, and 4,000 of those RNA structures were found to be uh, correct-ish. Huh. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Sorry. Um, we did not do any structural, again, analysis in that. I, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, you, you, I, I believe you tried more than 18,000 and 4,000 of those RNA uh, turned out to be real. I don't know. I, I'm not in the field, so I... 4,000 to be real. I think they were all real, but maybe we tested some of them. Maybe 4,000 was expressed in planarian neoblast. I don't uh, know. Yeah, yeah, probably in the second one. Yeah, That's, could be. 18,000 yeah. RNAs might be assembled in, uh, in some of them. We did not validate all of them, but I think we validated some of them and showed them showed their expression by in-situ hybridization. Um, I don't remember exact numbers, though. Yeah, there could be 4,000 in planary now blast. And, What um, was interesting to me was that you open, open source them, which is an interesting approach. If you ask me, because uh, 
it's always great to do so, but not, not everyone would do so. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. that's the case. Um, some do it because they think um, they're just, uh, you know, new in the business. Some do it, um, I don't know, I see both, you know, even beginners and the big labs doing that mm -hmm. for different reasons, If uh, I guess. But I don't ever, I, th I think my, um, both of my PIs, uh, uh, doctoral and uh, postdoctoral supervisors were very open mm -hmm. and I am grateful for that and because I wouldn't be f I wouldn't feel very comfortable because I sometimes ask also people about their project and I feel like they can be a little bit uncomfortable to reveal things and I never felt yeah. that stress because um, as I said both of my PIs were very open with their you know with the data yeah, um, how it should be probably yeah. the start of high school they basically say that your science is open yeah yeah and also I don't know I'm I never had uh, had any fear that somebody would steal my ideas or it's not like we have I mean well it's true that it is there's nothing um, most of the ideas are very similar at the end yeah. like people do the same things that's why I think they're afraid to do it if it was a very um, I don't know, very different idea. Maybe they would have less of a problem because they couldn't be able to. Have, I don't know what the, what the problem with people. I don't understand. And I can't relate to them. I do like even in some cases. Maybe I'm lazy. I'm like, um, let them do the experiment, and I will get the results because I'm curious about the <laughs> yeah, result yeah. of this experiment anyway. So why would I? Why would I? <laughs> Why would I wait until I find it? If yeah, somebody I mean, finds the answer, they already have it. Yeah, and yeah, ideas come and go, and ideas cannot—I mean, cannot grow in, a, in an isolation. Yeah. So you can't yeah. let them still. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how I feel. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually great. Um, you you have also done the Kremlin knockdown experiment. Yes. Experiments well, where yeah. you focus on a specific gene, knocking, knocking down the others. Um, I'm not sure, but I've gotten the impression that you have found some similarity between planaria stem cells and mammalian ones, as you mentioned earlier before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, can you tell me how that similarity is shown and what is the similarity that? Oh my yeah, God! You're asking cool. about my old papers. <laughs> I had to read them before coming here. So, um, so knockdown I used in planaria because, as I said, we couldn't do um, transgenic. Yeah. So you can't do CRISPR or like. Mm -hmm. But RNAi was very easy to do. So RNAi is basically injecting double strand, uh, uh, double stranded RNAs right. into um, in. Planaria, so you basically inject them to their gut and then it, it diffuses or like it transfers through all its um, body and we and then it targets the gene that I wanted to knock down and then I get a I get a phenotype. So what you can so we had this list of genes that we showed to be upregulated in neoblasts and some of them upregulated. So it, the, the expression transcripts, uh, transcript levels were higher ah, yeah, compared yeah, yeah, to yeah. the differentiated cells okay. in neoplasm. So 
and when you see a differential expression in uh, in genes, you might uh, assume that those genes are important in uh, in neoblast or stem cell function. And those genes um, that we found were um, components of some, uh, you know, um, some epigenetic. Uh, complexes in mammalian uh, stem cells. Um, these were, I don't know, MLL complex, some uh, CTR9, I, I don't remember even what kind of complexes they were, but they were important in, uh, in marking the genome with histone, uh, histone marks or chromatin remodelers like, um, uh, which, uh, which move the nucleosome to open up and close up some region um, by moving nucleosome to make it available or unavailable for gene expression. So, um, and uh, so we we found these different complexes working on different parts of or different uh, ways to regulate gene expression by changing chromatin conformation, and we looked at their um, functions or um, in in planaria by doing RNAi experiments, and in some cases we could show that these um, I mean um, so they were like. So the, the question was, uh, do they affect differentiation or um, do they affect the uh, reproduction of stem cells? Yeah. And to, 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 to be able to answer that question, we had to look some, you know, the, 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 the amount of um, the big stem cells. The big question was, I guess, what makes stem cells stem cells. And yeah, exactly. And yeah. these are the things that are conserved and we want to understand their function. In So it is easier to do those experiments in planaria than in, in humans. humans. And to be able to distinguish between like um, differentiation versus reproduction, is the question that we are trying to understand when targeting these different uh, different conserved factors, and then we found uh, different answers for different, which was good. So it, not all of those uh, marks are doing the same thing. Some are just uh, interfering with differentiation while not changing the number of stem cells. Um, some are some are decreasing the um, number of stem cells, and but they were at the end leading to the same conclusion with different uh, mechanisms. You have kind of shown that you can't pinpoint a specific uh, specific gene that does the differentiation, but the whole uh, sequence does. Um, or am I misunderstanding? Um, no, can you repeat it again? Uh, I don't know if I said that. <laughs> <laughs> you so you have shown that uh, in stem cells, this, a specific part, you can't like pinpoint a specific gene that does the differentiation or the reproduction. The whole sequence does it together. Mm, no, no, no. We targeted several different proteins. Ah. And these proteins are involved in um, the ones, most of those genes that I targeted, I think, were epigenetic markers mm. and doing it in different ways. Some were uh, chromatin uh, modifiers, which move the nucleosomes. Some were um, histone modifiers as a complex. And we targeted some of these proteins in these complexes 
in order to understand what they do, like do they um, do, do they take part in the replication or reproduction of stem cells, or do they take part in the, the proteins differentiation? Out to do different things. Yes. Different cells. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. Um, so it's. Uh, are you gonna look at other proteins? For this, or is it concluded that? Yeah, I mean, um, again, after I published that, I moved on, um, and I wanted to, I wanted to always come back to Planaria and do some work. But recently, I learned that the the postdoc that I worked with during that time is working on those markers that we discovered. Yeah. So I'm happy someone is doing that um, because I wanted to work on, but I I also wanted to move on with like you know my career, um, mm -hmm. and I I thought maybe I will you know learn something in Drosophila. Um, new that techniques and then yeah. I can because I had also these I knew the best planaria labs um, PIs of the labs were coming from some more established uh, models C. elegans or whatever so I'm like I started with planaria and it was it, it's, it's a great model but not enough to give me you know the idea what I can do with a model so I decided to move on to Drosophila um, to get that feeling and maybe at some point I would go back to Planaria um, and I'm still hoping um, but um, I first have to get some money <laughs> to run my, my lab and then I'll, I will think about um, you know um, diversifying on the models I use. Yeah, so you have built your lab here uh, starting from last year? Last September, yeah. Um, how did that work? <laughs> should I should I should I talk about the <laughs> smuggling? <laughs> I mean, it's past and nobody can caught me, I guess. <clears throat> so um, it is. Uh, it was an adventure, and I had uh, very very supportive people in the molecular biology department who helped me establish the lab. And um, uh, our lab manager uh, was very helpful. She basically organized everything almost in advance that I could come and set up my lab. Um, I had to bring the flies. And bringing flies um, was the most difficult part. I mean, it wasn't the most difficult part. So I think it was, it was uh, well, funny. Uh, it, was, it was sometimes very funny. Um, it was good to do it with, our, um, uh, with someone that I could trust. So the, uh, uh, the department manager. How tricky is it to carry these flies? Um, if you tell them that you have flies, they would not let you take it. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't tell them that I had flies because I mean, so I was trying to get the permit and everything, but there's this loophole in, in I think our like in the regulation of animal transfer, like you had to get the permit from a veterinary. Yeah. But. Uh, a veterinarian would not understand about flies, so there's no way. So you are in this loophole; oh, yeah. you cannot get out. And I ask, like, if they can give me, and they say, "Well, I don't know. You might know more about flies." Than me. So we couldn't, we couldn't make any, you know, document to prove that they are just, um, uh, you know, harmless flies. 
And I had to leave, and I couldn't leave my flies uh, behind. So <laughs> yeah, I took them all in my suitcase. Wow, in the jar? No, in wilds. They, I mean, they're in like plastic or polyprylene, uh, whatever. <laughs> wilds, plastic wilds. Um, and, um, and yeah, I put them like. Yeah, they had to be carefully put, and um, you know, it was it was funny, it was stressful, but I knew one thing that I could not leave them behind, so I took the risk. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. They are all here, and and I yeah. So I, I brought them here, and I can't go anywhere now. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, an experience. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep asking you about the uh, previous papers you published. Mm -hmm. um, you you have done uh, a study with Thai tribe Panosoma brusei. Oh God, that paper! <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is my undergrad. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, go ahead. You have shown that Bruce is more resistant if it does not produce an adenosine kinase. Um, mm, well... The question is then, <laughs> why does it have it? And uh, purine usage is apparently rare in animals. Like. <laughs> so, I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did that when I was an intern in a University of Bern um, in Pascal Meiser lab, and he was also a very good scientist, and I'm very thankful to him. But I apologize for not remembering exactly <laughs> what that whole mechanism was. Um, but I think yes, we were so um, so that was. Basically, doing this whole purine salvage pathway and knocking down the pet, the genes in the purine salvage pathway in yeast, though. So you ex express them in yeast, and then do a yeast screen with different drugs against Trypanosoma brucei. Mm -hmm. um, why they had it, but they were less, they were more resistant. You said <laughs> they were more resistant. It, yeah, doesn't, it produce. doesn't produce. Uh, and you ask why they might have that. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I have to say, I don't remember that. I, can, yeah, yeah, I just yeah, remember. I can't, I can't <laughs> it's been uh, uh, many and years, and I, I never really. Um, <laughs> it was a very. Um, yeah, you it was a very good time. Experience of the internship. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, that's 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 better. Because the University of Bern is it's a, it's a very. I mean, Bern is a beautiful place. Yeah. So I went there. I think uh, it was my. Um, yeah, I was. I was. Um, I was finishing third year and going to become a senior student. Mm -hmm. um, so it was not my last internship. And so, um, it, as you said, uh, Pascal is working on the uh, trypanosoma brucei, which causes sleeping sickness. 
and yes. um, and 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 you know, it's a he's a he's a tropical he's an he's an expert on tropical diseases and trying to understand and generate drugs to to or like at least find the available uh, drugs that would uh, that would cure or you know um, cure this disease. So, and I um, I worked with him for that summer in in Bern, which is a very beautiful city. And um, and it was great. Um, I enjoyed it, and um, I got a paper out of that. So it was really, it was a very giving experience. Yeah, it was very efficient. Yeah, and I had I I got a chance to travel all around Switzerland in the at the same time. So I went to the to the you know Jungfrau your. Uh, yes, it is a it is a, a, a ski resort on the mountains, and it was all go to the you know um, other parts. All I, I I think I never traveled that much as I did that summer. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, because because Switzerland also has this very efficient railways. Oh that yeah, you can, yeah. Uh, Super safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so nice, and you know, just being in the train, you could you could see all this beautiful scenery. Um, so I would basically spend my whole weekend traveling on the trains and going from one side of Switzerland. And it's a small country, you know. You could yeah, do that, and like, and I spend like uh, I don't know a few. I think a bit more than a month there, and and yeah. Um, yeah, I, I still have friends uh, from that time, wow. um, and uh, yeah, it was a great experience, I think. How did you get a paper out of that? I mean, one month seems really, like, really short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, so I worked with this um, PhD student, the, uh, the first author, and if you look at that paper, it's only like uh, I think there's there are only three authors in that paper, if I'm not wrong. And so, and I I think I uh, I made some um, transgenic uh, or like yeast during that time, and they used it, so ah. that's why I got the authorship. I see. I see. Um, as far as I've seen, you you have also. Um, Use techniques can be are, can are, can be argued to be similar, but the domain you look at always differ drastically. I mean, we have been going through your papers basically, and mm-hmm. there is this, there there are not much overlap between the topics as far as I've, I've seen. So um, it seems harder for me to predict what you are going to do next. So. What kind of research do you intend to do? Oh, that is very true. Yeah. Yes, it's very. Um, there is very little overlap that shows my uh, the my confusion throughout my um, <laughs> career too. So, um, as I said, so that was an internship paper, and then I started working with um, on regeneration, which when we compare it to um, to development, we saw the similarities in that that basically uh, pushed me or motivated me to study um, development. But then also when we combine all those uh, uh, like conservation studies, I also uh, was more, um, you know, 
more towards evolution. I mean, evolution was always there. Um, so I think um, now I am. So I. I mean, I know what I'm going to do next. I'm just trying to connect the dots between those papers in a more logical or like. I mean, it's not. There's no maybe. It's. it's it is also maybe subliminal. There's some subliminal connection between those. Yeah. It was just me trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and that. In in my mind, there is a reason why I study, why I started studying Bitcoin because you know, we we ha we had this system that we were very much likening to to Bitcoin system, and then I really wanted to do something with an organism that I could, um, I could learn more techniques, mm -hmm. and and um, also development is a very fascinating, um, I guess most important thing in a, in a multicellular organisms um, uh, studies so and um, I guess so I started with the uh, with uh, you know uh, with regeneration then development and all this all the while I'm trying to understand the molecular mechanisms that drive this different um, developmental or regenerative processes and now I'm still I'm, 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 I think I'm becoming more developmental uh, biologist than evolutionary although I, I so I, I claim to be or I didn't claim I don't have claims like that but I I was more doing research in the field that we can call for uh, evo devo. So there's a lot evolutionary understanding of developmental pathways. Yeah. Um, however, I think I'm more in um, developmental or developmental biologist than uh, I, I can't say more than evolutionary biologist. No, we don't really need those classifications. Um, I, I think I think it was. It's great that you see a lot of different branches in that specific areas of evolutionary and developmental uh, biology. So uh, the question is more about like, are you going to study about bicoids? Are you going to uh, study about yeah. specifically what, so, what are you willing to do? Yeah. So what became a uh, a thing a very um, defining thing in my career is that I don't um, I like not that I don't it's like as I said I'm trying to understand the formation of phenotype mm -hmm. either during development or regeneration and this um, I'm trying to look at it from a more I guess not just looking at the genotype looking at the epigenomics or epigenotype uh, basically and and I'm also like so I cannot um, I'm trying to um, find a niche that I could tackle these questions in a more mechanistic way mm -hmm. and I'm focusing on transcriptional regulation these days yeah. and um, my main focus is still like I am. I'm working with Bitcoin. Yes, still. But um, I came. I mean, I became interested in uh, intrinsically disordered regions, um, which 
or you know, also against the common belief that the structure is necessary for the function of a protein. So uh, these, basically, these regions. Disordered meaning unstable. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, disordered is maybe yes and uh, misnomer because that they do have or they do have a structure in the right context, but they don't have a stable structure. So they ha they, are, they form a continuum of structure that you can't really um, predict by looking at the uh, sequence. And the whole idea of uh, genomics, proteomics, is to be able to uh, decode or like code, like understand the phenotype from the from you know from the sequence. Mm -hmm. And all I want to do is um, there's more. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. more than just sequence. And IDRs, I think, is um, is the best is the best that I could find now. So it's like they don't. They're not. They're not easy to protect um, yeah. from their sequence. And that doesn't mean they don't do anything. Actually, they are very important. And you can you can just learn them by looking at them under the right context, and that's the, I think the beauty of uh, biology. That is, it's a multi-dimensional thing that a you know a one-dimensional sequence will not ever give you the right answer. I mean, I think people know it because now after um, genomics we had transcriptomics, epigenomics, you know, but like. Like putting all this together, I think it's hard to hard to process for a single or like simple human being. So I'm trying to focus on one particular thing to show all different levels of regulation, because that's all I can understand at once, um, and that's that's what I'm gonna do next. So picoid, but this time not the homeo domain, but the disordered regions of picoid. I see. Um, are there fields in uh Developmentary or evolutionary biology that you are very interested, in, but you have not gotten in yet. Uh, maybe some some approaches mm. try to do it bioinformatics way, for example. And you kind of use the techniques, but you are not doing it yourself, I guess. No, bioinformatics, I'm very bad at. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, I was. Uh, I wanted to learn, but you know it's difficult after uh, after some uh, after you become as old as I am. It's hard to learn <laughs> new things. Um, but um, but I don't feel as bad as I used to because now I sometimes use ChatGPT to tell me what kind of coding, what I, what kind right. of algorithm it would use. So I do something by using ChatGPT and correcting or like keep asking it, and it do, it does. It does, you know, correct itself. So, um, and I can do something with that. Um, so I'm not. So it would be, of course, good. So that you know, when I ask for funding or something, they would, they would not uh, question my um, uh, my expertise. Um, but I, I can collaborate with bioinformaticians um, to do that. I think, I think that part is getting less of a problem mm -hmm. than, um, um, than having shown your expertise in different fields of um, uh, molecular biology or, you know, 
some techniques. Um, of course, I think they are now becoming a more mainstream thing to, you know, outsource your um, some even you know experiments. Um, but I don't really like to do that. I think we should be able to do those experiments ourselves to be able to even interpret that. Um, so I would love to be. So I I think what I am missing that I um, would be nice for me. I am not a very good ecologist. So. And I think ecology is uh, is very important. So I wish I knew more. Uh, do you have any specific um, fields of study inside ecology that you are interested in, or the whole branch? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess what I I think I do want to be more like. Um, I, I just have a feeling that I did not learn about ecology, what kind of ecosystems are good for some, you know, for for different organisms. Or, you know, I, I was talking about this ecoivodivo, and it's the new emerging field, and I'm I'm just jealous of knowing about those uh, to be able to jump into that and have more ideas about. Because yeah. when I was an, an you know a, a PhD student, ecoivodivo was also a new um, new subject relatively and I would see these evolutionary biologists knowing all these species and you know the whole history of animal you know phylogeny and that was a very you know intimidating thing when you are uh, when you are new so now I'm like um, what kind of things in our ecosystem might be affecting us more than the others and 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 that kind of things, I guess, I'm I'm more like feeling that I should have known. Maybe, um, I think I think maybe with that I mean like I'm a molecular biologist, very molecular. So I would like to have a better, you know, this complete idea of ecology and ecosystems than just being a, a molecular biologist. You you have the tendency to merge everything, I guess, because you, uh, in your research you kind of start uh, bringing together developmental and evolutionary, then you put in even more and in the end you almost study whole biology. Yeah, that would, be, that would be great, I guess. But uh, the next question is more about this, the selection of these collaborators in the research. Uh, do you uh, do you struggle with that, and what are the tricks to do it best? So, uh, choosing collaborators. Yeah. It is not very easy. Yeah, you have to because you're relying on someone's expertise on that. Yeah. And you don't want to. Um, you don't want to choose the wrong uh, collaborators. Um, it, it is very important, but very seems very. Uh, Hard to do, and sometimes it can be a restriction. But I think I would do. I do it by. Um, I have by. I mean, um, I guess by association. Like I look at. I mean, I know a lot of people now working in different fields, so I know most of these people personally oh, or yeah. from their research. So it's not a like a. 
a random choice most of the time. So people don't go somewhere, some someone to ask for a collaboration because they are doing bioinformatics, and you should not because I think bioinformatics um, can be done really very sloppy by not good um, scientists. And and then uh, and I had uh, so in Nikolaos's lab. It was half half, so there were like half of the lab was experimentalist, and half, the other half was computational uh, scientists. And these came from um, not a, they weren't bioinformatician per se; they were physicists, mm-hmm. theoretical physicists, uh, wow. mathematicians, and so on. Um, so, and we would we would have this really very um, like. Um, very intense lab meetings that the, that these computational or theoretical people ask you questions um, that would just you know motivate you to do the experiments. Um, and after seeing, and also after like we were we had journal clubs that we really criticized the papers um, and like like um, their analysis, their experiments, the controls they used or they didn't use. Um, so I am, I think I got a little bit uh, very picky after seeing those people doing their work yeah. and how good it was. Um, so it is really a very big challenge for me to choose a good like collaboration partner. Um, but as I said, I have friends from that time too that I can trust and I can yeah. also ask their opinion uh, on things. On even like if I'm not going to work with them, I'm going to ask if what they think about that person. Yeah. So I think yes, it it shouldn't be randomly chosen from any bioinformatician. Um, and the same is true for wet lab scientists. So I mean, because I mean, and also it's scary. Like you know, there are some uh, with all these retractions and like um, unreproducible data. It's like it's very, very, um, it's very um, scary to think that somebody would just fool you with their data and like. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> So I think you have to be careful to when choosing your collaborator. Did you see any of those reticulability uh, crises uh, from the peers? Um, not in my like vicinity. I did not see. I yes. but. Uh, so as I mean, I I was lucky to work with really very uh, you know very good scientist and like uh, honest and like not really uh, they I don't know I mean maybe at some point they turn out to be not <laughs> maybe I was wrong but no I think they were all very you know very honest. careful and honest uh, scientist and I'm uh, grateful for that so like like uh, it was like the, from the moment that we said let's publish this paper after all experiments are done, then the publishing would take a year or so to just yeah. to prove or like um, you know repeat those experiments and make sure what we said was right. Or like even the even the writing uh, during writing, you would think about the a gap maybe, and you would uh, uh, my, my PI would ask me to do something. And uh, and that's great. I I know some. Um, I, I remember some students being very, you know, um, 
impatient and <laughs> trying to publish things. But I wasn't. I, I'm not. I'm not a very patient person per se. But I also am very uh, paranoid in the sense that publishing something is the. I think like the scariest thing. Like you publish that, and then you're in. Like you're out there, and you you commit to that thing forever. Yeah. So. I that's a very um, I get very anxious like I had this like um, you know and I'm thinking now it was like maybe I was very worried that you know the primers I'm like did I make any mistake in the primer design and and you know it, this supplementary you know I I maybe tested 20 and maybe one was wrong who cares at the end it's not a big deal but it is also a big deal um, so I think that is a very stressful thing and I get very anxious until I publish and also I, that's why I also try to push it to the, to the <laughs> no, I don't, I'm not very impatient to publish it because it's very scary so let's prove it several times then we can publish it Yes. Um, so that was what I I got I think and I learned so um, and most of the people around me were very good scientists thankfully okay um, this question is kind of just for fun but I'm, I'm still gonna ask how would you imagine a world that is a genetic utopia <laughs> I don't know I'm very bad at the so this is a sci-fi question. <laughs> a genetic, yeah, genetic utopia. Um, I mean, I don't know. We are. Um, I don't know if anybody cares about a genomic utopia anymore that we have AI now. Maybe I don't know. Okay. Like, <laughs> the no. question about AI could be like. Um, Let's say we figured out a way to replicate, like, um, produce a self, self-creating self AI. <laughs> That's uh, very would hard. Would you implement yeah. genetics on that, or would you do a, do a different thing? I mean, I actually, I wish I didn't start with AI because I'm really not good at about, I'm not really informed <laughs> much about AI. But uh, let's go back to genetic utopia, <laughs> maybe. So I think I think it is maybe. Um, so I think it's still early to. I mean, well, in the utopian, I guess future. Uh, I guess everybody. I don't know if even if it's a dream of everybody, they want to have like a regenerating human being. I guess not aging, <laughs> and like. A, but there's no, I don't know, it doesn't, to me it's not a very utopic, I guess, it's like, um, or like, I don't know, they want to, um, they want to create uh, babies with no genetic defects maybe, that's, uh, that's one thing that people might be um, looking forward to, okay. which which can be possible at some point, I think, yeah. but I don't even know if it's really like, there are all these ethical questions that should be tackled when we are, if we are going to do that. Um, and aging, I don't think, as, uh, I mean, um, there's no, I think, 
I don't know, aging is very natural that I can't imagine on aging would be possible in a nature or, you know, a natural <laughs> organism. Of course, I mean, uh, you keep regenerating. You yes, you can slow it down and there are many things that could slow it down yeah. now already, um, at least, you know, in appearance. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I don't know how much our regenerative capacity can be expended so that we can, you know, like planaria, cut the brain off and then grow another brain. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen soon. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but would you like it to be? Is kind of the question, actually. Because uh, I'm asking your imagination of a utopia. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's, I think, great. Um, but as I said, I'm not a very utopic, or like, okay. I'm not a dreamer, I think. it just doesn't fit in my understanding of biology. I mean, you know, maybe a finger cut and then, uh, or like, uh, yeah, it just regenerates. It seems more likely to happen than a head being cut and being regenerated, or uh, regenerating. But, but why not? Maybe it will also be possible. Yeah. Okay. Um. I sometimes also see that there, are, there is some interesting hobbies of, uh, of the academic people. Do you have any such hobbies? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Well, um, I have. I mean, I, I like. I'm like I don't know what uh, what is what is counted as hobby. I like reading books. I like uh, I like baking bread. Yeah. Um, I like also growing plants from you know uh, um, that's, from that's cuts. I don't like to buy plants, <laughs> or I don't like to buy uh, yeast when I want to you know make my own culture wow. to bake. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I. Um, uh, I also, I also like just uh, walking and thinking. I guess uh, yeah. those, those are hobbies that's, too. That's one of the common ones that that's shared within academia. Really. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for indulging my questions and thank you so much again for coming. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. It was fun talking uh, to you and uh, good questions <laughs> and good, uh, you know, um, I didn't expect you would do so much um, background search and yeah, work. Yeah, actually, it's actually fun for me to do. Like, I, I learn a lot from these interviews, so it's, yeah, it's the best right. part. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you.